You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, January the 10th. It is revolting here in TW11 this morning. It's cold and wet and miserable and thoroughly January-ish, but there's plenty to get our teeth into through the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. A little bit of news from the British and Irish jumping scene. A blazing Carl, who was one of the best staying novice hurdlers last year, Charles Burns' trainer, has reported to the Press Association he's no better than 50-50 to make it back in time for the Cheltenham Festival. Talking of which, Gordon Elliott yesterday on this podcast uh, suggested that Jack Kennedy, his rider, would likely make it back in time for the festival, something that appeared to be confirmed as the day progressed. The real whacker, the northern-trained sensation for Irish-born English-based trainer Paddy Neville and the charismatic owner Davy Mann. Jonathan Harding in today's Racing Post has reported that the Gold Cup remains an option, though the novice race, the Brown Advisory at the Cheltenham Festival, is more likely. And talking of festival targets, in a few moments, I'll be bringing you an extended interview with Anthony Bromley, racing manager to Simon Munir and Isaac Swade, the powerful owners who are eyeing up any number of big prizes, both at Leopardstown and at Cheltenham. And for that matter, probably entry in Punchestown beyond. Lots of news on some horses that have been shining in the last few weeks. But first of all, before I speak to David Yates, news on Noble Yates, who's been tipped up by the Racing Post prize-wise Tom Siegel today to win the Cheltenham Gold Cup before he bids to defend his Grand National crown. Where might he go next? Well, we reported last month that Lingfield's Fleur de Lis chase next weekend was on the agenda. And I asked Emmett Mullins whether that was still the plan. Yes, uh, all systems go uh, for Linfield, um, and uh, I think it'll be a, a good race for him just to tide him over between um, now and the Gold Cup. What was it specifically about that race that appealed? I mean, it's not as though you've got no options in in Ireland. Um, honestly, I went over last year for a handicap hurdle, I think, for one or two horses, just for the prize money was so good, and it was great that they put it on, and I thought, Jesus, I'd love to have nobody out here, um, it wasn't part of the plan last year, but uh, I've managed to work it into this year's plan. He didn't look a horse devoid of speed, did he, at the at the back end of the National, nor again at, at Aintree in the, in the many clouds chase. Have you... Have you started to think a bit differently about him this this year? Um, not really. I suppose that's not the first time he showed the turn of foot. He um, he won a bumper, nineteen lengths turn and in upsides and tireless. He, um, I suppose if you wanted to say that was the first time we got to see the turbo in him, but um, uh, that was definitely a taken performance. He had to win an Irish bumper, nineteen lengths. Mm. Um, you don't do that with an average horse, so. Um, I suppose it's uh, it's been there for a while now, yeah. So it's just been it's been late, and we've talked about his development quite a bit. He's still a he's still a young horse. When you when you look at people tipping him up left, right, and centre for the Gold Cup, what do you think in your in your heart of hearts? Um, heart to heart, <laughs> I think one thing, but when I see people tipping up, I cringe. So it's, um, it's uh, a difficult one. <laughs> 
but you you've obviously got faith that he's a well, I say obviously. Do you have faith that he's a he's a championship horse rather than just a top handicapper? I this time last year I said he's going to be a top handicapper where he's uh, where he bottoms out where he's where we find his end mark. I wasn't going to be sure, but he had the potential always to go to the top. Um, and I suppose we're still on that journey and uh, still trying to find out. And Sean Bowen is is going to ride him at Lingfield. He's he's good to keep him keep going on him for for the foreseeable. Yes, yeah, no. Sean's getting on great with him, and um, uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And is he a horse that needs a little bit of knowing? He is. He's a quirky horse. Um, he's definitely not the most straightforward, but um, no, it's definitely no harm having a having that on him a few times um, to know him well. So. Lingfield, Gold Cup, National, job done. Job done, hopefully. Right, that was Emmett Mullins from one Yates to another. David, newsboy of the Daily Mirror. Um, David, Noble Yates going to Lingfield. That'll be a big boost to them if the weather behaves itself. Yeah, it's a massive boost uh, to the fleur-de-lis chase. It was won by two for gold, uh, its first running last January. And to attract... A star name like Noble Yates is a, a real feather in Lingfield's cap. As you say, the weather does have to play ball. But this horse is very much in the picture for the Cheltenham Gold Cup, Nick, now. Um, as you say, he's been tipped by Tom Siegel, price-wise of the Racing Post. And he's an 8-1 to one shot. You look ahead of him in the betting. Well, of course, Galapin Deschamps is the favourite. He will have to prove his stamina at Cheltenham in March. Then you've got Lompresse, who goes to the race on the back of an unseat in the King George. And of course, Aplutar, the reigning title holder. But the last time we saw uh, the Henry de Bromhead nine-year-old, he was pulled up in the Betfair chase at Haydock. He'll go to Cheltenham, I think, on w- without a, a, another run. So he has plenty to prove. So the trio ahead of Noble Yates in the betting for the Cheltenham Gold Cup all have a question of sorts to answer, as, of course, does Noble Yates, principally whether he's good enough. Uh, but what we do know is that this horse is very much on an upward curve. The victory at Aintree last April, the wheels came off on his return to action at Orteuil in mid October, but then subsequent to that, the victory at Wexford didn't tell us perhaps an awful lot, but it was hard not to be impressed by the success in the many clouds chase at Aintree at the start of December. He swept down the outside to beat Dashiell Drasher. Okay, Ahoy Senor in third hasn't really uh, hit the heights in his second season over fences, but it's an upward curve for Noble Yates, and I really hope that we see more uh, of that in the Fleur de Lis chase at Lingfield later this month. Lescargo, Golden Miller, Noble Yates. Does that have a good ring to it? Or Golden Miller, Lescargo, Noble Yates? The only horses to win the the Gold Cup and the Grand National? Yeah, I I don't see why not. I think he's uh, he's definitely uh, a player in that race. Uh, You know, this horse uh, at seven years old was already uh, something of an outlier in in winning uh, the Grand National at that age. And he's continued improving. So, yeah, I, I really don't see why not he uh, why he can't uh, add his name to that illustrious uh, list that you've just reeled off. Right, you don't need eagle eyes to realise that the double green colours of Simon Manier and Isaac Suede are doing very well at the moment. Um, many winners through the last two weeks. The last seven that Willie Mullins has fielded for the ownership operation have all won, but there have been winners 
from other sources as well. Their racing manager is Anthony Bromley joins me now. Anthony, of all the successes of late, which one's given you the most satisfaction? Funny enough, old Zambella. I, I, I really love watching her run and she has just such a, a willing attitude with a great big ears and jumps from fence to fence and she seems to have improved I think four or five pounds this season and that mare's chase program they've they've sort of been working on in Britain I mean that's a mare that's would have probably been retired a couple of seasons ago but we've kept her in training for this mare's chase program it, it maps out a route map for you the whole season and she's sort of getting it together she's in her earlier career she was she could make a, a big old blunder now and again but she seems touching wood that she's ironed out a lot of that and um she gave me a lot of pleasure at doncaster over christmas but obviously the the most exciting one was probably blue lord winning the grade one that was a slight surprise i have to say because he was second string willies in the race behind shack and Bossoir, and yeah to see daryl cruise home like that was quite something and how much does it mean to Simon and Isaac that Daryl Jacobs, someone to whom they've been very loyal down the years, is going to Ireland and riding grade one winners for them? Look, it, it made us all very... It was a it was a great feeling inside. There's, there's no doubt that Daryl's involvement has enhanced Simon and Isaac's um, enjoyment of their racing immensely because it's a, it really does feel like a family team effort. Um, people ask why is he not riding all of the horses of William Mullins's but that's the only trainer where the number one jockey Paul Townend has first choice and Daryl is second choice jockey at that in that setup all the other trainers that we have horses with um, Daryl's first choice but he can't be everywhere and you know when Paul is in the yard all the time at Willie's and knows those horses extremely well Daryl is getting over there as much as he can and it, the good thing is that this season he is getting on the likes of Blue Lord and and one of those you know and one or two of these you know and James de Burley won his beginners chase the other day and then Impere Pass he, he got to follow that one but you know there's some of these that he's getting on and riding because he may well have to ride them Daryl may well have to ride them in, in these festivals the Dublin Festival and the Punchestowns and the Cheltenhams because Paul can't ride he's got plenty of options in all these big races and you might not all be choosing a double green so it's great that we've got Daryl there to run um, he could well be having a, a very strong book of rides at these festivals because Paul's on another the one of Willie's you know so you know, it's um, but it gave us all a great deal of pleasure that the Blue Lord uh, that it won so well but it was extra special obviously because yeah because Daryl did ride it he did say in a, in one um, interview he thought his grave one winning days might be over but actually now he's starting to think about it he's now thinking he might they might not be you know to, to what extent is Blue Lord a serious player for the champion chase and indeed is that definitively the way he's going to go uh, you can't say definitively the way you go I think you have to see how his next run goes the plan um, is to go the two mile race at the Dublin Festival now that would tell us a lot that'll answer a lot of questions if he, if he goes and wins that in a similar fashion well then all roads lead to the Queen Mother Champion Chase however if you know he gets beat and it looks like he's you know outspeeded we do know he stays further he is settling better and the Ryanair comes into play. The thing is, you don't have to make the decision until nearer the time, but I think the Dublin Festival will probably make it very clear what we should be doing. Um, the, the idea was to go up in trip this season. That's why he started at Clonmel. But 
come back in trip, showed a load of pace at, at Leopardstown at Christmas, and he seems to have improved. And it's not a surprise that he could have improved. He was quite a lightly raced horse in his younger days over hurdles, and then he went novice chasing off not a lot of you know career starts. So there's every chance, you know, it's not, I don't think he was flattered or it was a what it looks like. I, I would like to think that anyway, and then, well, but we'll see in a couple of weeks. Of the other horses that have been winning and doing well, um, James de Burley, you mentioned, made his, his chasing debut and did it very well. Ampere Passe looks a, 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 a possible leading contender for Festival Novice Hurdles. El Fabiolo looks a, a potential star. Uh, which, which are you most excited about? Um, I think at the beginning of the season, the, the two novice chasers, El Fabiolo and James de Burley, were their two big bullets. Um, and you would be thinking El Fabiolo was going to be our arc, would be an Arkle horse, and James Billy possibly a, a brown advisory, at, uh, the, you know, the, the three mile novice chase at Cheltenham. Um, both look they could be both in the two and a half mile uh, as well. So it, they 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 are very exciting prospects. Again, El Fabiolo, he's hardly had any starts in his career. Um, so. Yeah, I think he's the, probably the most exciting because you just don't know where his ceiling could could end up at, you know. And he's got a few things to iron out, and I think he jumped really nicely. But he did, you know, he, he's a bit impetuous. He's a bit keen running. You know, two miles at the moment seems to be his trip because that's how he he wants to get on with life. Um, James de Burley could have won at two miles. Um, we could have started him at two miles, but you sort of get in the system at Willys and start wherever the race is so two mile five probably was far enough for his he was very fresh for his first run for 600 odd days and um at the moment i wouldn't think james burley does want to be going up to three miles just the way he's so impetuous and he wants to get on with life so um we just have to see i think el fabio the plan is to go for the two mile novice the irish arkle at the dublin festival that blue lord won last year and back in the day footpad won it for us as well um think he, he'll go there and that will again will tell us what the next step is whether or not he has to go up in trip or stay at the two miles and then James de Burley there's a two mile five and a half grade one at Dublin Festival I would imagine that's his next uh, port of call and again that will tell us if we can go up in trip or stick at the two mile five for the turners but um, look I mean it's all very exciting stuff and Long may, long may the winning run continue, but of those, you said seven runners, seven winners from the William Mullins thing, six of them were in maidens, beginners, chases and bumpers. There was only the one was in the grade one. So the, the next steps are the big, the big ones. And it is amazing in Ireland how your next step from the maiden has to be in a, it seems to have to be in a grade one. It's, uh, you have to be fast track, pretty, pretty sharpish over there. Yes. Uh, Ampere Passe looked look very good as well. Do you see that as a supreme horse? Well, it was two mile three that he won at Nace. I mean, they didn't jump the two in the straight, so he didn't have many to jump. He did jump all right. Um, you know, that gives you the impression that we could go, that we could go either way. Um, think, you know, I think he'll try a two mile race, a graded race, and then and then see, you know, and if he can't do it at two miles, then it gives you the thing where we would go Ballymore. So I don't think we have to make any decisions on that. Again, he's had one bumper run and one maiden hurdle, but they've, they're very excited about him. And he's a lovely big horse and a prospect for the future, you know, a novice chaser of the future. But 
I'm not sure we have to make a decision on which trip is going to be best for him yet, but he, he's obviously could go both ways at the moment. But his next run will tell us a lot more. And, and Hunter's yarn at Nace um, the day before yesterday, um, won by about a million lengths. Uh, <laughs> did he, he? He actually looked like he beat an OK field as well. Well, I'm not sure. It was a big field. I'm not sure. Once um, Gordon took out the second favourite, found a 50, the race didn't probably take a lot of winning. But it was just lovely to see that horse get his act together over hurdles. He'd been a very good bump horse, one of three bumpers. Um, And that was actually his third run over hurdles. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, he finally, you know, he, he, but he, 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 his jumping could get a little bit slicker. Um, But he's a great big horse. Yeah, I mean, he, he one more run, and he's actually qualified for um, the festival handicap. So he <laughs> might be more, might be one for going down that route. But um, you have to have four, four runs now, don't you? So, yeah. but he'd run in a graded it, race next time and see where he is, and then then we would have a look at it. You know, it, it, isn't it funny how everyone assumed that 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 rule would come in, and and Willie Mullins wouldn't be able to win any of the handicaps with these lightly raced novices? You, you make edit the rules any way which you want, he'll figure out how to win them. Well, there you go. Especially with especially with your assistance. Now, the 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 school of thought, Anthony, is that if you have horses in that stable, you just let Willie get on with it. Is that the case, or do you have a bit of input? Um, look, you you the one thing about Willie though, you you get involved with it, but not you can't. He, he still wants to do what he wants to do. Yes, but you can you can sort of put ideas there and he'll listen to him and he'll tell you why he doesn't think it's a good idea or he sometimes will embrace one and that's fine it's certainly it's not a closed shop for for talking about ideas and thoughts um last year we didn't you know he did listen to us and we didn't take el fabiolo for the supreme against john bond and uh, and, and constitution hill and all that and we did go to aintree and and that nearly paid off. You know, he, he was in a photo for the for the grade one at Aintree. So you can get, you know, you can talk things through with him and he will listen and we can do things. So it isn't a total, you know, he just does what he does. But equally, you have to work with Willie, you know. And the one thing about him is, and I was going to say at the start of that in your answer, was he does run five in a grade one. He does let the owners have their horses in the grade ones. He doesn't say, oh, I've just got, I've got the favourite and that one's running and I'm not running anything else against it he does put his and that's why owners stay with it because they do know they'll get a chance they won't be told they can't run um, he will when he gets to the big races he'll run all the ones that deserve a chance in it so you feel you're getting a fair crack of the whip you might not get the jockey you want well then in our instance with our situation is we we, we can because we've got Daryl so you know um, I think it, it's an amazing setup and it does work uh- and obviously, so, you know, success breeds success. Owners want winners. He's churning out tons of winners for Simon and Isaac. It's quite understandable why they want to have tons of horses with him. Um, people will will say, "Oh, all the good ones are in Ireland now. Why have you got them all in Ireland and not in Britain?" You're actually second in the British Owners Championship as well. But is is it is there more, is there a more of a focus to sending horses to Ireland? Is that part of the strategy? Well, the, the, the trainer has the most horses for for the double green colours is Stuart Crawford in Northern Ireland. So. Um, it's not it's not all the Willie Mullins show. Stuart's getting a lot of winners, youngsters. Uh, yeah. We've got a lot of youngsters there and had a nice win at the weekend in O'Toole. Um, then he came across and won at Newcastle. So it's sort of, uh, yeah, Northern Ireland could be called Ireland. It could be called UK. I don't know quite really. Um, 
it's not it's not just the Willie Mullins show. It's there's there's a lot of other trainers that train for the team and it's all part of the whole thing. As I say, Nigel's got plenty of horses and stuff, and so Royale's at Alan King's and still flying the flag and um and we still hopefully get Caribbean boy to the national this year at Nicky's. So, you know, there's there's horses all over. And I can't I can't let you go without asking about Bristol de May. Um he could take on Noble Yates in the Fleur de Lis or not? Uh, he'll definitely get an entry in that. He, um, he was a close third in the race last year. Um, it's his sort of ground. Two miles six around there is sharp enough, but he did run really well in it last year, but he's a year older. Um, he will get an entry in the Peter Marsh on the Saturday, the further lease at Lingfield on the Sunday. Um, now, look, it, I, I've just got to decide, do I want to go for a big handicap with top weight in a reasonable-sized field at Haydock, at his beloved Haydock, or do we go and probably can get a safe place prize money in Lingfield because it'd be a small field? But I might be tempted to go down the handicap route because I think I'd be going to Haydock thinking I might better win this. Whereas I go to Lingfield, I don't think I'll be able to beat Noble Yates around there. So I'm just thinking it might be that he goes to Haydock. But look, we'll have a look at it all. And look, Lingfield doesn't need a lot more rain, I suspect. They'll be worrying it could be waterlogged, it could even be off, you know? So. Um, it might be one of those you declare for both and see but um, come and see what this, there's a lot of rain about this weekend this week Anthony thanks so much for your time no worries thanks Nick that was Anthony Bromley speaking at some length about the horses owned by Simon Munir and Isaac Swade for whom he's been racing manager for many years now and this is a an outfit that is is really going well this season and you can see why they're excited about some of the spring festivals Dave yeah you certainly can um as you say, they're they're having a uh, an amazing season, and Daryl Jacob particularly is. It, uh, this has has been a, a a great association for him over the last few seasons. Blue Lord, that victory proved his suitability, I think, to uh, for the the champion chase and to stay at two miles. But uh, there are any number of them these days that uh, are running with uh, great distinction in in those colours, and it's an exciting time. All right, Dave, uh, the bedding in period for the new whip regulations began yesterday. What are the key points we need to know now? Yeah, the bedding in period over jumps for the new whip rules started yesterday. Um, it, they will come into full effect on the 6th of February. Uh, the flat, the bedding in period starts on the 27th of February and those rules will take effect on the 27th of March. During this time, of course, jockeys can uh, they can get used to the new rules and they can actually break them without being punished because the, the whip rules that are currently uh, in effect will remain so until the dates that I've just mentioned, uh, the 6th of February and the 27th of March. What will happen now is that the Whip Review Committee will publish the miscreants and the bans under the current rules every Tuesday and they will also I think uh, publish the number of jockeys who would have been banned under the rules that will soon take effect no longer will we have uh, jockeys banned on a, a daily basis by the racecourse stewards they will refer what look like breaches to the whip review committee who will meet every Tuesday and then publish their findings what what this does mean of course is that because we won't have daily bans there will be a period of six days silence and then on the seventh day we'll learn out we'll learn uh, who has fallen foul of the whip rules 
either the current ones or the ones that are about to take effect and uh, the, the the days that that they will be out so i think what we'll have now is jockeys banned in 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 groups rather than uh, on an individual basis which sounds a bit weird in theory but i don't think it'll make an awful lot of uh, difference in practice well it's tuesday which means we go around the world with our friends at weatherby's their excellent stallion book and their online stallion app and this week i'm delighted to check in with Mihol orlandi from starfield stud in west meath who's currently standing six stallions trading and promoting as compass stallions those of you with long memories will remember Mihol from august 2021 but lots of water under the bridge since then most recently the arrival of dubai legend announced two weeks ago so Mihol, we may as well start with the most recent and important piece of news um dubai legend second in the dewhurst and a group winner as a three-year-old yeah, we're delighted to welcome Jabari Legend to our roster here. Um, he's a stallion, or I suppose, stud prospect we've been looking for quite a while for numerous of reasons. Obviously, Jabari Factor is exceptional. You know, he is potentially probably the most influential sire sires of this decade and maybe for a period of time what we see with Zarak and Night of Thunder and Nube, etc. And um, it's very rare to see there's not many calls around by him that are kind of available to to, to get involved in the stand and as you said yourself there he was second to native trail in the Dewhurst in 2021 which made him the second hydrated two-year-old that season off a mark of uh, 115 official rating and um, he won a group three last year for Hugo Palmer and the team and um, from pillar to post and with that rating you know what put him up with probably the second highest rated Stanley to go to stud this year as a two-year rating. I think Blackbeard is higher than him, but he's above the likes of Bayside Boy, Minzal and Persian Force and State of Rest and Naval Crown and Space Travelers and many others. So and obviously Baid never ran it to. So he has two years, you know, two year form and rating that puts him in a very unique son of Dubai. I think he's higher as a two year old than, you know, Night of Thunder and Time Test and Space Blues and obviously Zarak and, you know, Gaia as well, you know, and Naval Crown, as I said earlier. But I think the only son of Dubai was rated higher than the two-year-old was too darn hot. I think rated 116. So, you know, he has a lot of credentials. He's a beautiful individual, fantastic walker, super temperament that you get with the Dubawis. Uh, love your head to him and uh, love his shape. So we're delighted to get him. He's already proven exceptionally popular and... Uh, and uh, yeah, he's looking like he could be not just popular in the Covenant Shed, but he may be, you know, a turning point for us as Compass Stallions to kind of get a stallion that really kicks us on to a whole new level. All right, you talk about Compass Stallions. I didn't expect you to have been sleeping on the job, Michal, but you've been you've been even more energetic and active than than I could possibly have anticipated, particularly through the latter stages of the of the pandemic. What have you learned in the last eighteen months or so? Um, look. The game has changed to some degree. I'm very inexperienced compared to other stud farms regarding uh, standing stallions. So I'm constantly learning. And the pandemic has had an imp- influence to some degree, but you know you can't overly think it. And um, we have a business model there on standing stallions, and we also have, um, you know, King of Change has, has stood. Has, you know, has came standard Starfield stood, and we felt that we need to keep on moving forward. We try to branch up the ladder, a small bit. A small bit, and uh, and I feel that I can't stand still. Stallions are found out very quick on the flat, and also national hunt. And you know, my you know, I suppose as a team here, we're trying to get the next next stallion that can give, go to next level. Uh, when I grew up, I remember a lot of stud farms, independent stud farms, standing you know, two, three, maybe four stallions. That's kind of dying out to some degree. Uh, the stud farms are only getting bigger and bigger. 
Um, you know, my neighbours here in Tally Ho, they're you know they're becoming a, a bigger force to play with. They're probably up there to some degree, not equal, but not far off the likes of Godolphin and uh, Darley and uh, Coolmore. And um, we see you know Barry Lynch has a great starting roster down there with New Bay and Luke to Vegas. So I think the big farms are getting bigger, and those smaller farms are struggling to some degree. And, and some, you know, and dying out maybe. And so it's key for us that we're new, that we stay afloat, stay in business, but also kind of work up the ladder that we can start competing with these other competitors, you know? And looking to the, the price point for these for these stallions, you go, you've gone in with, for example, six and a half thousand euros for Dubawi Legend. How do you set that? How do you find that figure? Um, it's a number of factors. It's, I suppose, um, these stallions in general across the board cost them more to purchase. There's less and less of them kind of available. And that's kind of um, not just for me, but for everyone. Um, stallions are getting, or stallion prospects potentially are getting traded to compete and race in foreign jurisdictions, whether that's Hong Kong, whether that's Australia, whether that's America, who knows. Um, the ones that seem to cut the mustard and have the credentials to go to stud are owned by a very handful of people. They're not not always on the open market. The value, what they get sold for, is not always what they're worth. Maybe it's just what someone's willing to pay for them, which is, I suppose, in theory, is what they're worth. So you have, you know, stylists can make a lot of money when they go to the open market to be sold because, you know, bunch of us still farms are all scrabbling away to kind of to 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 buy one and if we look at what's gone to stud this year most of these stallions were in the ownership of the people who've retired them so naval crown obviously was in their ownership space traveler was in ownership of kipper chase's joe 40 some degree you have bide in their ownership uh minzal stays in shadwell's ownership bayside boy was already partly owned by Barry lynch um Perfect Power is the same, Blackbeard is the same. So it's only really um, Persian Force gone to Tally Ho, and we know there's a good friendship between Ammo Racing and Tally Ho. So, you know, just, you can only argue that there was no stallion for sale this year, stallion prospect. So that shows you how hard it is to get a stallion prospect, and also the cost of them has gone so high. But when it comes to the price point, you know, you work out um, you know, what credentials the hearse has, what kind of uh, nomination fee would breeders be willing to pay so they can get a return. It's all about the breeder getting a return as a nomination fee. It's not exactly how much money can the stud get for him, but also, you know, can the stallion A, couple mm-hmm. mares at this point, and B, get a return for the breeders that are using him. And uh, and in general, like everything that's where a leg has gone up in price, the purchase of the stallions and the keep of costs in them and advertising and marketing and so on and so forth. So there's a number of factors at play. But before I would announce a stud fee for a stallion, I would probably talk to um, a good few of our loyal breeders and see what they think. And they would have a good handle on it, you know, what they'd be willing to pay uh, nomination fee-wise for a stallion. And as it stands, he's, I think, the same price as Space Traveller and... Um, can't get a new horse Katora is it across the UK that he's six and a half sterling but in general look he's he's uh, below the the 10,000 euro mark you know so I like to think he's, he's affordable and we have to be conscious of the market that you know the breeders can use them and hopefully get a return when they're selling their foal and their yearling because if they do they'll come back and it's all about, all about repeat business uh, Michal, I remember that, that article which began a concoction of enthusiasm, great people skills, will to gain experience and hard work have been key contributors to his ascent in a sector of the industry where many significantly richer and more well-connected wouldn't dare risk themselves. High praise indeed, but deservedly so. What do you think's been your, your unique selling point from your own perspective over the last couple of years? I'm not sure there's, there's one exact 
it's a combination like everything you know it's a combination of things we're fortunate that you know we've look, we start off with Capella San Severo who's currently sunning himself in Italy at the moment and I learned a huge amount with him and I was fortunate that people like James Axon at the time got involved with Capella San Severo then we started I went to Stratburn who was a commercial disaster but I probably learned more standing him than I did for Capella Santavero because he didn't cover very few mares, you know. And then we had my dream boy. We went from there. So if it wasn't for the people like the likes of James Axon or, you know, Jack Cantor's involved with Far Above and we have Mr. Aruban involved across you, these people to, um, to to believe in the brand, that, you know, which is Compass Stallions and then believe in the business model that we can actually go out there and compete with these other stud farms and attract mares. You know, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be in business and then most more importantly it's probably the breeders like there's a number of breeders there that would have came to us in year one and have been with us ever since and there's new breeders coming now and the, the, the clientele is growing year on year and we're very fortunate but i don't think there's one exact you know special ingredient that makes us a, a success like we are in an industry where it's a golden ticket kind of mentality everyone's looking for that lucky break to breed that very good animal or to sell that one that tops the sale or whatever it may be and and we're no different and i think breeders that come to us are also kind of in that mentality they're hoping that whether they use dubai legend or far above or karashi or who they may use king of change like that's the stallion that's going to you know breed them a a top class animal and, and hopefully um maybe a result in the sales ring as well so i i i have reflected enough to see well what was the what was the point the turning point what attracts gets business growing all i know is that we've made plenty of mistakes along the way and we'll probably continue to learn some mistakes but you know if we can keep on learning and stay in business and i suppose it's no different playing a game of poker the key is stay on the table and and uh, at some point you might get your you know your royal flush or your you know so on and so forth all right, thanks to me, who all my guests today. Can't go without congratulating Paul Nichols, who was on the show yesterday, for reaching his century for the season. He's well on course for a 14th championship. He had a four-timer at Taunton amongst them, the two juvenile hurdlers we spoke about on yesterday's programme. And uh, he is he is going great guns, Dave, with no signs of the, the January slowdown that we often associate with this yard yet. Absolutely not. I mean, the... Um... This has been a, a tremendous season for Paul Nichols. It's it's not just the numbers, is it? The quality is there too. Um, it, we've talked about that before on the Nick Luck Daily. It, these are exciting times, and you know, to, to it, it 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 wouldn't make the it, it wouldn't knock Harry and Meghan off the uh, off the the top slot of the ten o'clock news that Nichols has got another century. But certainly in terms of the horses for the future, this is a noteworthy period, I think, for. Uh, for Man of Farm Stables. Right, and have you got something for me for today? I have. We go to the 8 o'clock race at Subble tonight, and I'm going to put in a shorty because I need a, a winner on the NLD, and it's Gentle Fire at number nine. This horse, she's unexposed over staying trips. She's got a £4 penalty for a win over a mile and six at Wolverhampton a few days ago. Now she goes up to two miles, and I think there's more to come. 8 o'clock race at Subble, selections number nine, Gentle Fire. Dave, thanks very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, the 10th of January. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.